invite you to open up to Isaiah chapter 55. And we are studying the book of Leviticus, and we'll get back there in just a moment. But I want to start in Isaiah for a specific reason this morning. I want to clarify something this morning, and I think it's important that you hear and understand. And, and let me be let me be real clear. <clears throat> the bridge was not designed as a haven for the mature believer. It's not why this church is here. Oh, and if you're a mature believer in Christ and you want to dig into the Word and know God's Word, then I think you'll find that here. But that wasn't the original purpose. And I tell you this because as a pastor now of some 20 years, I, I've had enough of the whole different strokes for different folks type of church mentality. That if you want this kind of thing, you go to this church. Or if you want this kind of thing, you go to this church. we got a worship church. We have a teaching church. We have a secret church. And folks, that's not the church that God shows us in the Bible. The church is just the church. And to me... Uh, you know, it, I, I can't even imagine, it's amazing that a church would not be known for teaching the Word. That a church would even exist without that being at its center, at its core. Now I tell you this because I had a, a great conversation Wednesday night with a couple who are, who are here. I think they might be here this morning, so I won't say their names. <laughs> night and, and the comment came out that, that there's kind of word on the street about the bridge. Don't you love that? The buzz that goes around. I mean, we're not advertising or anything. People are still talking. I don't know what, what's that all about. Word on the street is that that's where you go if you want meat. If you want teaching. And it's true. We're teaching through the Bible. I mean, any church that's in the book of Leviticus, come on. We're obviously teaching and walking our way through the Word. However, I want to make something clear to you. The reason why we teach the Word and the reason why we walk through the Word is because God's Word is for everybody, whether you've been a Christian for 40 years or 4 minutes or not at all. Now I want to read you a passage and let me see if this makes some sense to you. Isaiah 55 verse 6 says, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and He, listen to this, He will have compassion on him. And to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. Very, very clear that God is not into hammering people. He doesn't want to judge. He wants to show mercy. He wants to show grace. But there's a problem. Verse 8 tells us, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And if God is God, as described in the Scriptures, if He is omniscient and omnipresent, if He's all everything, then how in the world could a God whose thoughts are so high get a message to humankind? And the answer is, through His Word. Listen to what He says next. He says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there without watering the earth, and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be, which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the manner for which I sent it. You see, the, the church needs no advertising. 
The church needs no marketing, no special events, no campaigns, no promotions. All we need is the Word of God. And if we will stick to the Word of God, people will be saved. Lives will be changed. We will be eternally altered. Because God's Word is that powerful. I have no idea what's going on in your mind right now. I don't have a blessed clue what you're thinking, where your heart is, what your struggles are. I may have a sense of a handful of people, my closest friends, those who I associate with most, or maybe one or two that I've counseled counseled in the last week, but I don't know how to reach you with the Word of God. Not a clue. And yet, pastors bang their heads against a wall trying so hard to find just that right message that's going to capture somebody. And all the while, we miss the point. God's Word is sufficient. God's Word will reach. God's Word will do what no man can do. And that's why we teach the Word at the bridge. So would you do me a favor? If someone comes up to you and goes, Oh, you go to that teaching church where you say, No, we just go to a church that shares God's Word. We're not about just the mature believer. We're about the Word of God. And my heart and my passion and my desire is that every church will be about God's Word. Every church will just share that. We'll place a priority on the teaching of His Word. Because I don't have time to water down the Word. I don't have time to mince words. Jeremiah chapter 20 verse 9 says, If I say I will not remember Him or speak any more in His name, then in my heart His Word becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. I cannot endure it. And for any child of God who spends any amount of time in God's Word, you know this to be true. It becomes like a fire in your bones. You want to share it. You want to tell about it. And that's important because sometimes the topics that we run across as we study through God's Word are hard. Last week we talked about blood, about sin being a bloody mess. And this week, we're going to jump out of the frying pan and right back into the fire. But let's pray first and ask God to bless His Word. Father in Heaven, we once again call upon You this morning for we need Your help. We need your help to understand your word. We ask the Holy Spirit that you will apply your word to our hearts in a way that I can't do it. That you will make it clear to us. Father, take us through the tough stuff if you need to. And as you see fit, that we might draw closer to you. Desire to spend our lives in your presence. Bless this time this morning. Holy Spirit, guide us through these pages. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Leviticus chapter 6. Leviticus chapter 6. I'll be reading beginning in verse 8. We have been working our way through all of the offerings, five specific offerings in the book of Leviticus. Right off the bat, God details these five offerings. Four of the five are blood offerings that we talked about last week, signifying not only the the, the danger of our sin, how bad our sin is, but also signifying the depth of God's love for us in that Jesus' once-for-all blood sacrifice revealed God's grace. But now we move on a little further into Leviticus chapter 6 and verse 8. And it tells us the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the law for the burnt offering 
The burnt offering itself shall remain on the hearth, on the altar, all night until morning. And the fire on the altar is to be kept burning on it. The priest is to put on his linen robe, and he shall put on undergarments next to his flesh, and he shall take up the ashes to which the fire reduces the burnt offering on the altar and place them beside the altar. Then he shall take off his garments and put on other garments and carry the ashes outside of the camp to a clean place. The fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not go out. But the priest shall burn wood on it every morning, and he shall lay out the burnt offering on it, and offer up and smoke the fat portions of the peace offerings on it. Fire shall be kept burning continually on the altar. It is not to go out. Continually. The fire burned on the altar. And the first thing an Israelite saw when they walked into the tabernacle that God designed, that God proclaimed to Moses for the children of Israel to build, the first thing they would see was the bronze altar of sacrifice. It was a big, burdensome thing. Big bronze piece of furniture. It was the biggest piece of furniture God designed for the tabernacle of the seven pieces that are in it. And around that big bronze altar, the Israelite walking into the courtyard would see blood poured out. But he would see something else. Flames rising high. A fire burning 24-7. I got an email from Russ this week saying, let me understand this. <laughs> the sacrifices were going on all the time? The fire was always burning? Yes. 24-7. When the Israelites were in camp, the fire was lit and God said it's continual. It does not go out. Morning to evening, evening to morning, that fire will burn continually on the altar. But in this fire, I believe, again, God is pointing out some bigger things that are indicated by fire. And we're going to deal with these things this morning. Three things that are indicated by fire in the scriptures. Let me ask you, what is the average person thinking of when they hear the word fire and someone's preaching or reading out of the Bible? Hell. Exactly. But if you're taking notes this morning, I encourage you to do so. The first thing you may want to jot down is that fire speaks of a hellish condemnation. This continual burning fire points the person watching it to the truth of hell. With the fire on the bronze altar, God turns up the heat on the Israelites. He gives them a graphic picture, not of what their sin does, but it causes a bloody mess, as we talked about last week. It gives a graphic picture of the end of their sin. Fire. Hell. Now, there are those people who don't believe in hell. Or those who say, I don't believe in hell. Well, wanting hell not to exist doesn't cause it to disappear. And if you don't believe in hell or you've wondered about hell, I, I want you to stick with me for a few minutes here. The problem for anyone approaching scripture who says there truly is no literal hell is they have to deal with Jesus who spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. Jesus was clear about hell not just as a thought, not just as a bad representation or picture, but as the real thing a fire burning eternally. He called it, quote, the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 8, 12, 22, 13, and 25, 30. The outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Can you imagine a dark fire? The fire of hell, according to Jesus, doesn't even shed light. It burns, it blazes, it flames up, but there is no light in the fire of hell. It is an outer darkness. 
fire, stripped of all of its goodness, stripped of its warmth, its light, and even its ability to drive away worms. Worms? Yes, worms. For in another place, Jesus says, Hell is where the worm does not die, and the fire is not quenched. Did you know there are 44,000 types of worms? Interesting. 2,700 types, 2,700 types of earthworms. And it said that in a one mile, or one acre, one square acre, there are over a million earthworms. Think about that when you go home today. Crawling around in there. Oh, by the way, the largest earthworm ever discovered was in South Africa. It was 22 feet long. I died. But worms all have one thing in common. They have one thing in common. Gather up all all the worms you want and light them on fire and they will burn. Except in hell. Where the worm, where the worm does not die. Why is that? Flip in your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. Verse 43. And you need to understand something as we look at this verse and what Jesus has to say about hell. There is a reason Jesus talked about hell so much. There is a reason that it is described in the Bible. There's a reason that we have to deal with it this morning. And the reason is that Jesus does not want you to go there. So listen up. Mark chapter 9, verse 43. Jesus said, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than having your two hands to go into hell, into the unquenchable fire where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than than having two feet to be cast into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Why is it that the worm does not die in hell? The answer is because nothing dies in hell. Nothing dies in hell. Which means if someone ends up there, their residence is permanent. As the fire on the altar was continual, so the fire of hell is eternal and it's continual. And there is no death there. The fire is not quenched, but it also does not completely consume. And and you say, I hate hearing about this. I don't like talking about hell. I don't like the thought that either I or or, or someone I know might end up in this eternal... That just sounds so contrary to grace. Why even mention it? Because again, Jesus did. Why did Jesus mention it? He doesn't want you to go there. He doesn't want you to end up there. Like the parent who says to the child, Don't put your hand on the stove. You don't want your child's hand burned. Like the parent again who says to the child, careful when you turn on the hot water nozzle on the sink, because if that's the only one on, you could burn your hands. Be careful. Don't do that. 
What homeowner would not have smoke detectors in the home just for the safety precaution, the warning in case the fire comes? And so Jesus says, there is a hell, it's literal, it is a dark fire that never goes out, and it is not quenched, but it will not consume completely. Whoever ends up there will be there eternally. I want you to know that. Why, Lord? Because I have a better plan for you. I have a place I want you to be. I want you to be with me. The Bible is so clear on this. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow about His promise, talking about His coming back to get us, as some count slowness, but He is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. But the whole reason Jesus was laid out on the altar and bore the fire of the sacrifice of the cross was so that you and I wouldn't have to. His heart is for you to be loved and saved and in the Father's arms forever. And Jesus, by the way, also tells us something else about hell. Those of you who are here Wednesday night know this. Matthew 25:41. Jesus said the eternal fire was prepared for the devil and his angels, not for you. Why does hell exist? Why would God create a hell to cast people into? That sounds harsh and judgmental. Hell wasn't created for you. It wasn't designed for you. It was made for the devil and his angels, those who had rejected and rebelled against God, and it is the place for those who reject and rebel against God. But it was never God's intention for human beings to go there. Well, why do they go there then? Well, if you're not with the Lord, there's no other option. It's your choice. Revelation chapter 20 verse 10 says the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet also are and they will be tormented day and night, listen, forever and ever continually. Revelation 20.14 says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. A hellish condemnation. Hell is real. Hell is biblical. Hell is there. And Jesus doesn't want you to be there. How? How can I avoid that? Have your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Well, how do I get my, my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? You believe in Jesus Christ, whom God has sent. John 3.16 I can't get enough of this verse. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, that's hell. But fire is not only a symbol of the negative in the Bible. For after describing this hellish condemnation to his followers, Jesus said something else about fire that's interesting. Still in Mark chapter 9, verse 49, he said, For everyone will be salted with fire. Everyone will be salted with fire. What does this mean? Number two, the fire indicates a heavenly alteration. A heavenly alteration. For to be salted with fire means to be tested. It means to be proven, to be refined. As we sang, refiner's fire. That's a biblical song. It comes from Malachi chapter 3 verse 2. Where the prophet writes, Who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? He is like a refiner's fire. And like a fuller's soap. Getting all the dust and grime out of Mike's hair. 
I added that part. Verse 3 says, He will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver, and He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. Now that's a prophecy, gang, of days to come. A prophecy meant for and specific to Israel, but it also gives us a picture, an understanding of God's desire to alter us, to refine us, for us to be salted with fire. Now flip in your Bibles, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11. Fascinating what Paul has to say here, again, about fire and God's desire to work it out in our lives. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 3.11 Tells us that no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold or silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Listen, though he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. Kind of by the seat of your pants. Paul is saying something interesting here. He's not talking about your salvation. He's talking about alteration. He's talking about the fact that sometimes in life things get hard, get difficult, that we grind against it, that that we struggle. Sometimes God is doing something in our lives and it's painful. And He's doing so to refine us. I was talking to another new friend this week. And I won't share his name. I have so many things that I could say about you guys and just embarrass you, but I won't. There was a person who, who came last week and made a comment, and I just got to share this because it's so perfect. He was kind of kidding around, and he, and he said, you know, I came and I, I was actually surprised that the barn didn't burn down around me. And I said to him a little bit later, I said, well, hey, if the barn burns down around you, we'll just build it back up again. You know. I'm going to make something clear. There's no problem with you coming to the Lord just as you are at this church. All right? You don't walk in here cleaning it up, straightening it. I'm wearing a t-shirt today. The only reason I wore this shirt was just because, I don't know, pastor thing. <laughs> but you don't. I wore a suit yesterday for the first time in I think a year and a half. I just hate those. Thank you. Can I hear that again? Thank you. All right. Anyway, where were we? Listen, God is not surprised by any of our sin. He is not afraid of the life that you have lived. It doesn't scare Him a bit. He just wants to save you. He wants to alter you. He wants to change you. He wants you to look at your own life and and feel good about it too. So He provides this grace, this amazing forgiveness. And God would rather, listen to this, He would rather burn off our sin now than later. Rather deal with us now. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 6, The Lord loves those whom He disciplines. That should tell us something about God's desire for us. Yes, you may go through some tough times in your life. You may feel like, man, God is just turning the screws on me right now. I don't need this. This is hard. And the Lord's saying, I'm refining you, my child. I'm changing. I'm altering you. 
through this difficult time. You know, there's a young Christian cry, which I hear a lot, and it's, why is God allowing this to happen to me? On the one hand, don't confuse the fallout of your choices with His discipline. That's important. A lot of times we say, God, why are you doing this to me? And we forget the fact that we did it to ourselves. That though there's forgiveness, there are still results of our sin. We still deal with, you know, the fallout. But gang, God is not into chase lounges. He's into changed lives. I like that. Very good. He's not into the comfort zone and the comfy and the cushy. He wants to change you, wants to alter you. And that means sparks may fly. That means you may feel like you're getting burned. But all the while, God is saying, I love you too much to leave you the way you are. I want to change and alter you. Now go back to Leviticus chapter 6 for a moment. Look at what the priest did with this offering. Leviticus 6 and verse 10. While you're flipping there, let me read one more verse. 1 Peter 1 verse 6 tells us, In this you greatly rejoice, even though for a little while now, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So that the proof of your faith, more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now I'll tell you something else. Salvation is one thing, but there are also rewards, and the Bible is clear about this. Jesus says at the end of the book of Revelation, chapter 22, He says, Hey, behold, I'm coming, and my reward is with me. To give to everyone, to render to everyone for what they've done. And we read that and we think, oh, okay, so if I've done the right things, then I'll be saved. No, he's not talking about salvation. You cannot do enough to be saved. You can't do enough right things for God to say, all right, you're good enough, I'll let you in. It is purely by grace that anybody is saved. However, the Bible also indicates that he will reward you based on how you have lived. Which is why Paul said if you are going to come into heaven just you know, by the seat of their pants as though escaping the fire, they're still going to be saved. There may not be a lot of reward. But Peter says that though tested by fire, you, you may be found to result in praise and glory and honor in the revelation of Jesus Christ. And anyone who's walked with Jesus a while, I think, can relate to this. I want to glorify Him in my life. I want to be one of those who, when I walk into heaven for the first time, I hear the words, well done, Rick. Way to go, son. Atta boy. I'm so proud of you. Those words were possibly the most precious to me growing up of anything my father and mother could say. I am so proud of you. I want God to be proud of me. And so when I work hard at Christianity and live hard at faith and and want just to, to, to please Him in every way, it's not because I think I'm saving myself. It's because I want Him to be proud of me. I'm already saved by His grace. Now, Leviticus chapter 6, verse 10, moving on, we look at what the priest did. It says, the priest is to put on his linen robe. And, and God is very clear about this, he shall put on undergarments next to his flesh. Very clear. (laughs) Interesting. He shall also then take up the ashes to which the fire reduces the burnt offering on the altar and place them beside the altar. There are two things that the priests did there at the altar which literally altered the state of Israel's sins before the Lord. The first is they covered the flesh. They covered the flesh. Man, our culture, our country could could take a lesson from this. (laughs) The whole idea of covering the flesh. You realize that this is a little odd. Maybe a little, it strikes me as funny. God says, I want the priest to put on linen robes, but make sure not to forget your underwear. (laughs) 
That's what he says. Linen underwear. They had to have that on too. Why? Well, what if the robe blew up? <laughs> God says, I don't want to see that. <laughs> now, see, it is kind of funny to us, but what's the point? God is saying, I don't want the flesh. I don't want to see the flesh. You cover the flesh, especially when you're dealing with my offerings, he said to the priest. Cover up the flesh. But lest we get confused or focus legalistically or thinking that it's all just about physical, Galatians chapter 5 verse 19 tells us the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, Factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those are the works of the flesh. And so God says, cover the flesh. Don't go around just letting it all out. You know, it's especially girls' fashions today, and you young girls, I feel sorry for you, but man, don't, don't buy it just because that's what they sell at Macy's. As the shirts are going higher and the jeans are going lower and the guys are going, ah! (laughs) Cover the flesh. Cover the flesh. Well, they covered the flesh, but then they did something else. Watch this. They removed the ashes. Verse 11 says, Then he shall take off his garments and put on other garments and carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. First, they changed their clothes. Then they removed the ashes. They didn't stand around. Listen to this. The ashes, the residue of sin, they didn't stand around and focus on it. They took care of it. They got it out of there. Why did they change their clothes? Because the residue, the ashes, would stick to the linen garments. And God's saying, I don't want any sin sticking to you. I want it completely dealt with, taken care of. Don't wallow in the ashen refuse of your failure and your sin. Get the sin, get the ashes out, outside of camp, to a clean place. And then you'll be clean. It's part of the reason why the altar burned all night long. They put the burnt offering on it. And the next morning, by the time they came back, there would be nothing but ash. The the, the sacrifice would would be burned completely. But there was still the ash. That picture of the residue of sin. Get it out. Do you see the application to us? That oftentimes we will pray, God will help us deal with sin in our lives, but we still think about it. Or we still talk about it, or we still share it as part of our testimony and our witness. With a little wink and a little grin. And God says, I don't even want the residue of sin sticking to your garments. Jude 21 tells us, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear. Listen, hating even the garment polluted by flesh. Hating even the garment. The Lord didn't want a single speck of sin to remain. Remember the key word of the book of of Leviticus is holiness. Holiness. Now, that may be a lot to take. Fires of hell. The fire of God trying to alter my life. It sounds heavy. It sounds difficult. How do I do it? I don't feel like I've got, pardon me, a snowball's chance in hell of dealing with all this. How am I supposed to live the life God wants me to live? There's a great answer in Scripture for living the holy life. Zechariah 4.6 Not by might, 
nor by power, but what? By my spirit. Not by your might, not by your strength. It's not your power that's going to do it. It is my Holy Spirit that will truly alter you, that will truly change you. And I'll tell you this, the word without the spirit are dry, leafy pages. But God's Holy Spirit brings it to light, doesn't he? And God works the changes in our lives that we cannot work ourselves. Even for all the scripture memorization we might be able to do, if God's Holy Spirit is not called upon, if He is not at work in you, the change is going to be difficult to come. This is the greatest news I can give you this morning. The fire may indicate a hellish condemnation and a heavenly alteration, but here's the third thing about fire. Listen, Jesus said, or in Luke chapter 3, Jesus is not speaking here. This is talking about John the Baptist. And it tells us the people were in a state of expectation. And all were wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he was the Christ, this fiery prophet. He shows up on the scene, first prophet in 400 years for Israel, by the way. And the people are flocking to him. And as people are wanting to do, they're all saying, Is he the Christ? Are you the one? Are you Messiah? And John answered and said to them, As for me, I baptize you with water. But one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to thoroughly clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Number three, the fire of this sacrifice, the fire on the altar, speaks of a holy personification. It is pointing us, gang, to the Holy Spirit. Well, that seems kind of a stretch, Rick. How do you get that? Acts chapter 2, verse 2. Suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves. And they rested on each one of the apostles. And they were all filled then with the Holy Spirit. Fire. The fire. Oh yeah, it's a picture of hell. But gang, once you're saved, that's an afterthought. In fact, that's not even a thought at all. You don't even have to consider hell if you're in Christ. It's done. Paid for. The fire, that that struggle, the alteration in my life of God doing His work in me, but fire, the Holy Spirit of God, is personified in Scripture through fire. Flip in your Bibles to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. The Holy Spirit, He is one who is a fire that works through you to burn out the chaff, to completely take care of and deal with the sin, to direct you in the darkness, to bring warmth and comfort to you when the world turns cold. John 14, verse 16, tells us the following. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see Him or know Him, but you know Him because He abides with you and will be in you. Skip down to verse 26. Jesus says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Skip over to chapter 15, verse 26. Chapter 15, verse 26, Jesus says, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will testify about me. And you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. Skip over to chapter 16, verse 13. 
going on. Jesus talking this whole time, explaining, preparing his followers for his death and, and subsequent resurrection. Verse 13 he says, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative. But whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me. For he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. Gang, listen, the Holy Spirit has firepower. Corey and I were talking just this last week about the gifts of the Spirit. And Corey used the phrase, he said, the powers of the Spirit. And then he kind of backpedaled a little bit and goes, well, I don't mean the powers of the Spirit. Remember this? I don't mean the powers of the Spirit because I guess powers, that sounds, I don't know, kind of uh, paganistic, you know, and we're, and we're not supposed to be about power. And I thought about that all week and I thought, yeah, yeah, that's good, Corey, that it's the gifts of the Spirit. And yet, it is the power. That the Holy Spirit has a power we can't even fathom. The Holy Spirit's power in our lives is what allows us to read these words and comprehend them. To walk in this life and actually have moments of holiness. Those bright shining moments that we cannot believe. It is by His power, a great power. His gifts are powerful. His presence is so real and wonderful. And you may say, well great, well how do I receive Him? How do I get the power of the Holy Spirit in my life? Same way you get your name into the Lamb's Book of Life. Same way. Believe and receive. You believe and you receive. Peter said in Acts 2.38, Repent, each of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we've got a pond right outside. If you want to jump in, we can take care of that for you today. Believe and receive. And Jesus said, and listen to this in Luke 9.13, after saying, Ask and seek and knock, Jesus says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Do you want to be saved? Then believe in Jesus. Do you want to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? Ask Him. Ask for it. We have so much more to talk about regarding the work of the Holy Spirit, and we will. But for this morning, I want you to understand that the only fire God desires for you is His Holy Spirit working out in your life, and not the fire of hell. He does not want that for you. Are you feeling a little burned out lately? Feeling like maybe in your life you can't take the heat? Feeling like it's just too much to bear what's going on. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 29 tells us our God is a consuming fire. A consuming fire. What does that mean? It means He wants every inch of you. He wants all of you. He is so passionately in love with you. He wants your entire life. He doesn't want your hour and a half on Sunday morning or your two hours on Wednesday night. He doesn't want the occasional time when you're out doing ministry. He wants your life. Our God is a consuming fire. And He wants everything. Again, He loves you that much. And Leviticus 6.13 tells us the fire shall be kept burning continually on the altar. It is not to go out. And His passion for you does not go out.